Luke Schillings, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited about this conversation. You're very welcome. I'm very happy to be here. So take me back to the beginning. Luke, where are you from? Where did you grow up? So I grew up in a small village called Waddington, uh, just near Lincoln in the sort of east of the UK. I have, <coughs> excuse me, spent the majority of my life in and around the area. In actual fact, I live back in Waddington now. Um, despite having sort of disappeared in various places throughout my life. When I was young, I was the um, the eldest of two in my um, immediate family. Um, mm. But when I was four years old, my mother and father separated and my father went off into a different relationship and then later had two, uh, two additional daughters. So obviously my, my half-sisters. Um, my mum really stepped up to the game in that time. We remained in the family home and she kept working and did everything she could to support myself and my sister. And yeah, I mean, my childhood, I, I can't complain in all honesty. You know, um, we were we were looked after. We weren't wealthy. You know, we were just very middle of the road, um, you know, had the basic things we needed, did a few caravan holidays and and things in the UK, nothing extravagant had a good group of friends both locally and then of course throughout my my school life as well naturally i like any child you experience ups and downs a little bit of bullying here and there nothing too excessively i've been unfortunate to have been gifted a rather large nose well at least it was when i was younger oh, right. my, my head has finally grown into it mm. at least a bit a bit a bit more anyway so that that created some moments during school but then i suppose it also helped build up an element of resilience as well in terms of you know understanding and interacting with people i've always been really fascinated with like things doing things taking things to bits wanting to know how stuff works uh i could probably quite accurately define myself as a bit of a jack of all trades i always found myself finding any new challenge task or interest relatively easy and uh, we could argue that comes with that uh you know that name say of master of none but uh I'm not sure I'm prepared to accept that either. Uh, but I certainly like having that wide variety of interests. So that did have its downsides, though. So when I was going through school and getting to the point where it was a case of what, what do I want to do with my life? You know, GCSEs, A-levels, university, college, job, apprenticeships. It's like, what, what did the world look for me, look like for me? And the reality is I had no idea. I, I, I can honestly say that I spent the first at least 20 years of my adult working life if not more really not knowing what on earth it was I was going to do with my life so like most people when you don't know what to do and you don't know how to handle a situation we look outside we look at the people around us we I looked at my peers well what are they doing are they going to university are they going to college what what subjects are they studying and so I signed up initially to do um, A-level maths physics and technology I was always, you know, relatively okay academically. At least my capability was there. My, I definitely had the school report that said, you know, must try harder. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, but it wasn't through lack of ability. It was more lack of attention and interest, I suppose. Mm. During my A-levels, I got a part-time job working in the hospitality trade. And 
it was great. It was that back at that time where I used to got little. I don't really have them in Ireland, but in the UK, the little brown envelopes, handwritten with our little cash, used to get paid every Friday. Yeah, night. we do. And, we do. Yeah, and uh, you know, so having that like first sense of like I've generated something, I've created something. Mm. You know, this of course it wasn't a great deal of money, but at the time it was my first income, really proper, at least other than uh, paper round I'd had when I was a bit younger. So I started taking on all the hours that I could doing any role that I could from cleaning the um, bed and breakfast accommodation at the pub that I was working at at the time and, you know, doing the breakfast chefing and, you know, working behind the bar, at least cleaning glasses and things until I was old enough to actually work behind the bar. And whilst I was studying, my desire for earning money my motivation to earn money was greater than my desire for what I was doing in education and I ended up actually dropping out of my A-levels which for many years I I beat myself up about if I'm all on in all honest I, I kind of felt like I didn't get the success in life because I didn't go and commit to A-levels and then university to get a degree where I was seeing some of my peers as I was going through in my 20s starting to find their very definitive niche careers and they were doing really well and they had all the things, all these material things, which I, I believed would, would make me happy. Mm. And um, I remember feeling quite, not really resentful towards them, but certainly like envious. Uh, I, I wished that I'd maybe made some different choices, but I hadn't. So, Do you think I, there's a social stigmatization? I think there's a possibility of that. I think I think you see a lot of this expectation of how we're supposed to live our lives mm. you know you go through school you get educated and you ultimately you get educated to become an employee mm. you then pay your taxes and you work like hell for 50 years and then you retire and you die and during that time you find a partner get married have kids you know buy a house you you do all of these socially stereotypical things these social norms that you that you talk about and it's not that I never, it's not that I ever felt a pressure to do any of those things. It just seemed like they were the things to do. Because mm. again, when you look externally, that's what you're seeing everyone else do. So I worked in the hospitality trade. I essentially worked in there on and off. I, I, I quit my A-levels and never actually finished those. And then I worked in hospitality on and off for the next 16 years in total. And some of that was full time, some of it was part time. And in between those periods, I did a variety of things, worked in the motor trade for a short while, learned to spray and repair cars. I even trained to be a driving instructor. Uh, that's a completely separate story. And then eventually, towards the end, I had the opportunity to buy the lease for the pub that I'd originally worked in when I was 17 years old. And this pub actually happened to be in the village I grew up. So there's lots of ties back to Waddington. Mm. The pub was a 400-year-old coaching inn. Um, mm. It was under the lease of Punch Taverns at the time. It had a 120-seat restaurant, four-bed and breakfast rooms, separate public bar. It was an ongoing concern. But I took it from a, a place where it had been struggling for a while and had to really work very hard at trying to do something with it. I had, I'd saved a bit of money, borrowed a bit of money, and invested it in refurbishment. I'd managed to persuade the brewery to, to input a little bit as well to really try and turn it round. And although we managed to make a significant impact in the actual turnover, mm. it fell dead in line with the financial crisis of 2008. I actually took over in the July of 2008. So again, I'm not going to blame it purely on that, but it definitely didn't help. 
um, with rising costs and a combination of other things. And I fought like hell there for four years, working essentially 100-hour weeks with little to no time off. Not that I'm looking for any sympathy, but it was just a, a reminder of how hard it was. I actually had 22 staff in total, including all the part-time staff across the books. So it was a, a reasonable going concern to, go, to have gone from an employee role prior to that, even though I had a lot of experience in the industry, to really taking it on, you know, all flat out sort of mm. thing. It was quite a, it was quite a, a jump, but it taught me an awful lot about myself. I, I didn't probably look after myself ever so well health wise during that time. I probably ate too much and didn't do enough exercise. That's the both the advantage of having a chef on hand who could feed you whenever you wanted with whatever you wanted, but obviously working all the hours meant that I was spending all my time there and not actually, you know focusing on my on my personal life and looking after myself physically let's say so it came to the point where I could no longer make that business work so I had no choice but to declare myself bankrupt and I chose to do that before somebody did it for me before one mm. of the energy companies came in and shut me down um so it was quite a challenging period I was on antidepressants for a short while while I was trying to go through that period of time by this point I had met my wife-to-be I'd spent, interestingly enough, I'd actually spent much of my life not wanting to get married up until this point. And the main reason for that really was because I didn't want to get divorced. Uh, I'd, I'd seen the impact of that in my own childhood with my, my mother and father. And I didn't want to both replicate that for myself or potentially for my future children if I had them. I didn't want them to go through the same scenario. So that that safety net of not getting married was you know, a pretty secure way of doing that. And that was true right up until the point where I, I met my my wife. Where did you meet your wife, Luke? We actually met online dating. Um, yeah, using just one of the, uh, I mean, it was yeah. 15, 15 years ago or so, but one of the apps. So it's not none of the swipe right, left that you have these days, but mm. uh, are not dissimilar in, in many ways. Yeah, um, we live not too far away from each other. Uh, we met up, we are quite contrasting in lots of ways, but very compatible in many other ways. Um, I knew almost straight away that this was the person that I wanted to be with. I just, yeah, I, I remember even driving home from that first like in-person date and thinking, okay, yeah, maybe men, I might men have to change my thinking. Men yes. are notorious for this. Yes, uh, yes. They make decisions very, very quickly. It's very true. When it comes to romance. Some, a somewhat weakness, we might say. Mm. I mean, I'd had long-term girlfriends before that. You know, it's not like I'd not seen, been with anybody for any length of time. I'd mm. had multiple long-term relationships, or relatively long-term relationships, you know, at least of at least two years at mm. a time. Um, and but yeah, there was just something different, and I felt different, and I saw something different in her. Were you going to the bankruptcy at this stage, or were you out yes, of bankruptcy? Yeah, when so you met him, I met her just before, okay. just before, just before I made the decision to to go bankrupt not yet right. but, but it was all a, a very similar sort of time frame yeah um she wasn't actually any factor in the bankruptcy that was the the, the business had made that decision for me in many ways yeah. and i got to a point where i couldn't go any further um but in a, yeah in a, but she was very supportive during that time which was of course very helpful uh we then did get engaged and and of course we ended up getting married and We'd planned on having children, although we'd been a little bit loose about how that was going to be. And we discovered that we were pregnant with our first child, actually, whilst we were on our honeymoon. Um, 
Nice. And my wife had not been feeling very well during the mm. the wedding day itself, actually. And she was just mm. thinking it was nerves, you know, cold feet and who knows what else. Mm. Um, but it, it did seem turn out to be a little bit of morning sickness. So we then obviously had our first child, our daughter, uh, and then a few years later, our second child, our son. And we were married, certainly as far as I was concerned, quite happily for the next eight years. And then it was at that point when one of a close friends of our, a friend of ours uh, started to spend more time with my wife. The three of us were all runners recreationally. Um, and at that particular point in time, I'd been injured. So I'd been running far less and and instead she'd been running with him a, a little bit more and spending a bit more time. And things were challenging at home in the context that we'd got two young children. We're both working full time. I just sort of written it off as being that was how that part of my life was supposed to be. You know, it was just dig down, carry on. And as the kids get a bit older, we'll start to get a bit of time back and, you know, and all the things. And so I'd never really probably acknowledged or at least it hadn't impacted me in the way that it turned out that it, it impacted her but ultimately their friendship grew and I think it did genuinely start up as a purely innocent friendship in the first place but you know it doesn't you know you only need a one percent change every day or week or whatever and before you know it you can look back and think how on earth did I get here and I'm pretty sure that's kind of the experience that that she had in that time but it did ultimately end up in an emotional affair. And I was, I'd spent a lot of time being really suspicious about it, really uncertain. I'd actually confronted them both at one point and asked them outright because at the I was same afraid, time, no, separately, but yeah. the same, you know, within the same day or so, but not together. Um, did he live across the street, Luke? Did yeah, live literally. In- Literally, literally across, the across the street yeah yeah within yeah, he a, was a, a single genuine, man a genuine stone's throw di- distance yes he was a single man and to be honest he didn't have the greatest track record but we were quite good friends he had had his previous relationships his, at least some of them had all been with married women interestingly enough mm. and although that might seem like an obvious red flag on the flip side it's like well we were friends I knew about his history. We'd actually had lots of conversations about that over the, you know, the two or three years leading up to that. So I just, I just figured that it would never, that boundary would never be crossed. Mm. And, you know, I, I handed my trust to both of them. And, you know, the reality is it was ultimately a double betrayal in the end. Mm. So I was then left in that position where I'd, I'd discovered and the suspicions gone through that period of paranoia and uncertainty and second guessing and thinking you know am I going to end up wrecking this marriage because I'm being so paranoid I keep challenging her I keep saying this or being a bit edgy or you know challenge her use of her phone or maybe she's spending a bit too long messaging or whatever it is and is that actually going to be the thing that pushes her away and maybe I am misinterpreting it maybe it really is just a, a good friendship they're just like a brother-sister type friendship, you know. And I'd never been the kind of person, the kind of guy or husband that wanted to restrict my wife's interaction with other people, male or female. And I still would stand by that. I, that's, I don't feel it's my place to dictate what other people in my life do, maybe with the exception of my children, 
whilst they're young but certainly other adults you know i expect that we can have a mutual level of trust understanding and agreement to be able to negotiate those things between us and of course that does leave both partners slightly vulnerable but for me that was always a price i was willing to pay it just happened so that i did end up paying that price so when did it so they're jogging together they're running together they're spending a lot of time together you're injured you're not participating when did you discover what was the discovery and the the revelation yes i suppose the 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 final thing was because we did run we used the running app uh, strava to log a lot of our activities Mm. and obviously i would sometimes you know i would look at my activities i'd look at her activities his activities and over a period of time, particularly as my paranoia was, paranoia was growing, I was I was I found myself paying more attention to that. Like, were they running at the same time? Were they going to similar places? You know, and this is the kind of thing it was doing. I'm not the kind of person who would ever think about spying on my wife, but some of my activities did. So I was sort of trying to check up a little bit more as I could, you know, to try mm. and figure stuff out. And anyway, there ended up being one particular occasion where it looked like an activity had been edited. And although I knew technically how to do that, I knew that my wife did not. And Mm. if I hadn't done it for her, then there was only one other person that could. And even though that didn't definitively say that meant something, Mm. it just, just there was no reason for it. And there was also no reason for her to not to have told me had that been the case. Plus, if there'd been something she'd wanted editing for some reason, she normally she would have just approached me. So that was the the closest thing. I had to evidence there was never there was never like a court in the act there was never any of that kind of moment that was mm. the closest thing I had and when I just confronted that very very solidly uh, she essentially um you know admitted that she had started to to form you know quite significant feelings for him and him in return for her too just feelings so I think there'd been physical contact i.e kissing maybe some hugging but Obviously, I will never know 100%, but I'm 99.99% sure that that is as far as it went during that period. They did remain together, though, after we um, then separated and divorced. So you separated and divorced without evidence, uh, without 100% evidence of a sexual relationship, but of an emotional attachment. Yes, yes. But there's a reason for that. So when I, when it was when it did come out and I, I learned that, that this is real and it wasn't just my imagination. And then I because I'd been processing it for a little while already, I'd already sort of made a decision about how I would respond if mm. it turned out to be the case. And I wasn't prepared to just walk away from my marriage. And it's not like she had a history of lying and cheating, at least not to my knowledge. So as far as I was concerned, this was a relatively isolated incident and although a, a large one but still isolated in that sense so i decided that if she wanted to work on the marriage and actively wanted to want to want me if that makes sense because she said that she'd basically sort of fallen out of love with me and in terms of romantically at least you know which is a mm. common thing that people say in these moments and sometimes it's true of course and i'm not saying it wasn't true then but 
there was that romantic element had, had gone missing for her. Plus, she was getting this excitement and interest and novelty, novelty, everything that you get exactly and, yeah. from elsewhere. Yeah, free of all the stresses that you get with a the day to day life of having two young children, children working yeah. full time. It was yeah. like an escape in many ways. So I can completely understand that. It doesn't justify it, of course, but I get it. So the I had some pretty clear boundaries. My boundaries were that I wanted to work on the marriage, providing that she wanted to work on the marriage and she wanted to want to want me, mm. that he could no longer be part of our lives. He would have to be shut out. That said, I was definitely open to allowing her to grieve that. I wasn't just expecting her to just, you know, blanket and because the reality is if she had feelings for him you know i'm human as well i know what it's like if you have feelings for someone you can't just turn them off mm. so there was there was i was i was going to try and be as respectful as i could around that mm. and i also didn't want us to stay together as painful as this was i didn't want us to stay together just because it was the easiest thing to do just because of the kids just because of money just because of logistics just because of any of those things it had to be because it was something that me and her both wanted. We wanted to fix and wanted to move forward with. Ultimately, she couldn't comply to all three of those things. So I followed through on my boundary. And that's when I decided that this wasn't going to work. And we decided and we had a conversation, uh, you know, a rather emotional conversation and decided that that was the end of it. And that we would separate. We were still living together, of course. It wasn't. It, it made most sense for me to move out because of a combination of reasons, both financial, logistical, school, all the things. And so that's what the plan was. And then we started to essentially live our separate lives within the same household for a while, starting to get the kids used to spending time with just daddy and time with just mummy and also giving both me and her our independent time to be able to go out and do you know whatever it was that we wanted to do with our independent time at that particular point and then eventually of course I did move out we I filed for divorce proceedings um, and actually it was because there was no real conflict in that sense the divorce was all things considered about as smooth as they they could have been how know. long did it take to go through from start to finish start to finish was probably just under five months okay that's really interesting for irish viewers um there was a it was a five-year process here yes yeah, so i think well, it's been reduced to three so they've, they've changed the law in the uk as well so right. when 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 i went through it it was there, there were three reasons th three things you could you could apply for an immediate divorce mm. If there was unreasonable circumstances, you know, I irreconcilable mm. um, behavior of which needed to be agreed by both parties. And that's actually what we did. And that mm. allowed me as the betrayed spouse to be able to go ahead and file for a divorce straight away. Had that not have been the case at the two year point, then we'd both have to sign and you could then apply for the divorce then. Failing that, it was five years and then either one of us could apply for the divorce and not require the signature for the other. Um, however, the law's now changed in the UK, and now, the, I forget exactly what the term's called, um, but there's um, basically no reason. So you, any, anybody no can apply divorce. for divorce. No fault Sorry, that's yeah. it. Yeah, no fault divorce. So it's now much quicker. And, of course, that has its benefits in abusive relationships and really, other, you know, in certain circumstances. Mm. However, especially given the work that I do now, mm. 
it's also a little bit too easy. And I don't necessarily think that's always the greatest thing. Yeah. It, it, you said that you used the term betrayed spouse. Is there any kind of stipulation in legislation or in law in the UK related to the person who's betrayed, or is it not taken into consideration at all? No, no, okay. not, no not at all. No. No. Another question, Luke. Um, people might be wondering, viewers might be wondering, why did Luke move out here? Yeah. So there's a com com combination of reasons. Um, so the house that we lived in, the family home that we bought, mm. ended up with actually my mother-in-law bought the house next, ended up buying the house next door. Her and her husband separated and bought the house next door. So we had childcare on tap, which is pretty mm. useful. Mm. The kids went to school um, a few hundred yards from that house. Mm. Um and my wife was the primary earner and we'd always decided i didn't want to i didn't i didn't want to break up mm. i wasn't going to fight to use the kids as pawns that was never going to be an option it was always about what is going to be best for the children because at the end of the day I, I can you know i've already i'm already experiencing enough pain here in terms mm. of the the emotion i don't need to be setting that out on the kids i don't need to be using them I don't need to be making it any more difficult than than I do. And yeah. arguably I could have fought, if you like, for you know, for me to stay there with the kids and mm. for her to move out. But I think generally speaking, I don't think society I, I mean it wasn't even actually it doesn't even even if I was to take it down the sort of the, the legal mm. route, whether that would favor me or not is probably unlikely. But mm. to be honest, I, I think it's right that I want I want my children to you know, to be predominantly with their mother and mm. I can fulfill any role around that, that that is required. And a question, Luke, you mentioned your wife was the primary earner. So looking back, would you say there was a status differential there? Did that maybe, anything? Play maybe in? very slight, maybe mm. very slight. So the job that I had at the time, I'd worked at the same company for 10 years. I mm. moved, I, I was the general manager of the company. So it's not like I was just a, mm. you know, a, a hand sort of thing mm -hmm. and um but it was very, again it was very local to where we lived mm. um it was in the same village that the the kids were or my my eldest was at school mm. um so there was a lot of convenience the the employers were really flexible so if the kids did need um time you know if they were ill or whatever i could just no problem go it would never be an issue mm. whereas my wife was a teacher herself a secondary school teacher and although it's great that she gets the, you know, the three months a year off in total with uh, the holidays, mm. there's no room for manoeuvre during term time. Mm. So it was just the swings and roundabouts. Like the, the benefit that she brings is obviously a little bit more income and we don't have to find childcare for three months of the year, mm. which is great. And then the bit that I brought was the convenience, the flexibility, the adaptation. And that's just, and as a team, that just worked. Mm -hmm. So so it was logistically the the, the, the it right, just made it yeah. just made sense yeah in every okay. way it made sense and I, I didn't really feel bitter or resentful about that at all the only mm. thing i was probably conscious of was i didn't want to move out until that i knew we'd got these like the, the financial things mm. like agreed in principle because i didn't want to i didn't want it to ever look like particularly because the affair partner was still on the scene as well I didn't want it to get to a point where 
oh, well, daddy's moved out, he's abandoned the kids, and then stories and things to be manipulated and changed over time. So that's why I wanted to get the divorce proceedings going as early as I could so Mm. that we could get the financial agreement in place so that we knew where we stood legally. So I I drew up an informal document where we agreed, this is what we're doing with the kids. This is what we're doing with the living arrangement. This is how we're going to distribute our time. Mm. And and obviously we agreed this between us. um, Mm. And yeah. And then it was just a case of getting that formalized. Were you concerned at all that your wife's affair partner would move <clears throat> would move in? To the it property? certainly crossed my mind. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'd be parenting I, your. Kids. I didn't think it would be quick mm. if it happened at all. Mm. Um, of course, once I moved out, there definitely was more integration, mm. and it wasn't unusual for the kids to come round, and when they came, when they came to stay with me. And to mention, you know, something that he'd bought them or maybe somewhere they'd been, they'd gone to get an ice cream together or, you know, as, as a four, I don't mean just with him. Mm. Um, but the thing is, they already knew him. Mm. It's not like he was a complete stranger to them. He lived across the road. He was mummy and daddy's friend, you know. So, and and I certainly don't get the impression that from the kid's perspective, it was actually obvious that he was her partner. I don't get, I never really got that impression from the kids. And obviously... Mm. Again, it was very difficult because the kids are so receptive to what goes on. They they sense they sensed my mood. They sensed you know how I felt, my emotions, and particularly my daughter, really receptive. They mm. also sensed obviously what they saw from from their home, um, you know, with with their mum as well. And I think they did feel a bit stuck in the middle, um, for particularly particularly the eldest, my youngest at the time, who was only three. So. Um, I think he was a bit more oblivious to it, but my daughter was six at the time and she's obviously still young, but um adaptable. Yeah, just yeah, and, and she's and she's very perceptive anyway. So she definitely picked up on stuff. Okay, so now you're out, you have an arrangement. Are you see you're seeing the kids probably once once a week, you're at the weekend. So I was actually we'd so we'd we'd set the routine quite right, like I say, one while we're still living together, we'd set the routine of that I would basically have them on a Monday night, Wednesday night. Friday night and then mm. every other weekend and mm. then obviously we distributed the rest of the time a little bit differently whilst we were still living together but then when I when I moved out that's basically the routine that we we stuck with where I would pick them up I'd either if I had to, if I could finish work early enough to pick them from, pick them up from school I'd pick them up from school take them to their house because that's the local you know it was nearby and mm. you know and, and my wife was always respectful to make sure that he was never there when when I was there and you know so I, I I have to say that you know obviously I work with lots of people in this situation and I do recognize that even though I believe I dealt with the situation pretty well it wasn't completely independent I didn't have somebody who was trying to stick the knife in the whole time and twist it mm. and manipulate there was definitely some utility in that so there was less antagonism and, <laughs> and less animosity yeah, most, the picture most you're, of you're, you paint is a pretty smooth transition. All things considered, mm. I mean, it was very painful, of course. Mm. I had to leave my children. I mm. had to move. I had to look like I was the one that was leaving them with no rational reason as far as they're mm. concerned. That, that was probably the hardest thing. And then to top that off, I'd lost my identity. I was no longer this father, the the husband, the the family man. And then to top that off, I've got this other guy who was my friend, mm. who's now almost trying to, 
like encroach on my existing role and integrate himself with my children. Mm. So although the negotiations and the, the, the parting ways of me and my wife, that particular dynamic was mm. relatively smooth. Mm. Everything that was going on around it was very, very challenging, very challenging. And I mean, maybe I've been blessed by being quite calm nature, generally speaking. Mm. It doesn't stop me getting angry, of course, and especially given that he lived across the road and I was. Going so was there a confrontation, day. Luke? Not in person. Mm. No, no. I sent one. I sent one message, one quite lengthy message, sort of just left with no like expectation for a reply, but just a. Um, I suppose we could we could even maybe even call it poetic. But there was no pistols at dawn. No, no nothing like this. It was very very tempting, and the 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 times where again because I was passing his house every day, mm. um, and even once I moved out, it was still four or five times a week that I would I would pass, and then I would even see him sometimes as I was driving into the estate, and you know the temptation to swerve off the road and. Oops, you know, it was, was very, very high. <laughs> but but right from that beginning, I was so adamant about how it was going to impact the kids, every every element of this. Mm. You know, I didn't want I didn't want to paint mummy as the bad guy. I didn't want to use them as pawns. I didn't want to do anything stupid that would then I mean, yeah, okay, of course I'd get well, I definitely would have got some short term satisfaction had I gone round, confronted him, hit him, smashed his mm. windows, you know, kidnapped his cat, run him over, whatever. You know, there's there's plenty of things that would have made me feel better in the moment, which just they just wouldn't have had any impact going forward. And I, I was also not going to be in a, in a needy sort of begging type situation either. I can't force her to or I couldn't force her to change how she felt and nor would I actually want to mm. that's the reality of it so now you're living outside the home um okay so there was no alcohol or substance abuse you you were pretty chilled yeah yeah a yeah. lot of so men do, will and they do yeah and people go through very very different very different paths in fact I mm. actually had a close friend of mine who had been through an almost identical scenario He'd got three children under the age of 10 mm. and his wife had a relationship with, um, so again, somebody they knew. It wasn't quite the same, but not dissimilar. They ended up getting separated. Uh, I don't think they actually divorced. Um, she remained in the family home with the children. He then rented a property elsewhere. The affair partner moved into the family home with the, mm. with the mother and the children. Um, and it put a lot of stress on him. He did. He did not deal with it. Um, he compartmentalized it, I think, and dealt with it quite differently. Um, and we were the same age, you know, give or take a couple of months. And it happened within six months of each other as well. It was all very. There was a lot of comparisons. Mm. And then um, two years after he went missing, and three days after that, he was he was found. His body was found. I have a cousin. Well, I had. Um, he had four boys got divorced similar thing um he was self-deleted i think is the the, the term um, a few years after um alcohol was involved um but it is a a um a terrifying story that and it's a route that men do take so here you are 
you're hand, you're handling this well from the emotional aspect. You're being quite strategic and careful and logistical about how you're handling everything, even though it's immensely painful. Yeah, I think I think my analytical brain, my yeah. logical approach to life, just kind of kicked in. It's it's like it's like what, what it's what felt safe to me. I like mm. planning. I like you know. Okay, the, the emotions were were roller coaster, and it it was awful. Like like just just awful mm. but yeah i i guess i was able to focus on what i needed to focus on and to begin with i focused on the children now they were like mm. my they were like my guiding light in, in a lot of ways right at the beginning mm. which is interesting because it wasn't that long after the, the real probably the real tipping point in my healing journey was when i recognized that actually i was more important than the children when I put myself first, when I prioritize myself in every single way, well, two things happened. One is actually my life started to change. I started to take full responsibility for what I was experiencing and actually started to be able to begin that healing journey properly, you know, leading to things like forgiveness and a variety of other things. But also what it meant was that the kids then got the best version of me anyway. Mm. I was no longer being slave to their needs. I was being the best dad, which was actually what they really wanted anyway. So that I, I can't deny that that initial part where the, the kids were my focal point definitely helped me through that initial, like the shock stage, which for people can last anything between three weeks and six months. Mm. It varies hugely from one person to another. And I think that having just something to aim at at that point was really useful but that would have only got me so far and then i would have become restricted because i would have been dependent on fulfilling other people's needs even though mm. those people are my children I'm, I'm not trying to you know dismiss the importance of my children in my life of course they're they are very very important but actually i'm more important so that i can be the best possible version of myself and dad to them. And what what was if I was talking to your wife now, what would be her perspective as to why the affair took place? Was it was it, was it to do with romance? Was it to do with uh, proximity? Was it to do with? In, so interestingly, I think there's a, we we have had this conversation, and I'm sure there's multi reasons, but one of the things that did come out that actually surprised me a little bit is that she thought that I was not ambitious. Like I've not got no ambition. And I think because when we first met, obviously I was, you know, self-employed. I'd had had this pub business. And although it did ultimately fail, the way I dealt with and handled that at the time mm. was, you know, I'd achieved something. Even though it seemed to end in failure, I had achieved something. And then I was able to get another job lined up and I've always been very productive and logical and practical and, you know, all the things. And then I took on another job after I had been, so I'd, I'd, I went from bankruptcy into a, another job as a restaurant manager for a hotel. I worked there for three or four, three, maybe four months. And then I was made redundant. So I went from so bankruptcy, lost my house and my living, my income and everything, got a job. Then was made redundant like three or four months later, and actually we had to had to live on my wife's income for um, 
a, a couple of months. Uh, the original plan was to take a month off and then start looking for work and find something completely different. I wanted out of the hospitality trade. It it, it burnt me to the ground, shall mm. we say. Mm. Um, and I ended up working at a small manufacturing company just down the road from where we lived and ended up there 10 years. I went in initially just, you know, fabricating and cleaning up and then I was learning to weld and then I sort of worked my way up through the business and ended up being general manager by by the time that I left. Um, so I kind of thought that I did have that ambition mm. and i also recognized that again coming back to this like this particular point in our lives this wasn't a time for me to be jumping ship every two minutes this was we knuckle down we get through this challenge while the kids are young and you know all the child care is required and all the extra stress that comes with that we can worry about other things later you mm. know? and i think she saw that as me settling as me becoming like just just taking stuff for granted maybe and maybe i did maybe i did i mean i wasn't faultless of course i think i was a pretty good husband all things considered but and i think and i think she would stand here and say the same but there was obviously something missing for her in the sense of like there was some spark there was something that she'd seen in me to begin with which in her eyes at the very least had fizzled out yet my motivation my motivation for that was clearly quite different to how she perceived it so yeah, I, th I think that was one of the factors. Um, but like I said, anything these else, things happen, these things happen. These things happen gradually over time. Mm. Um, I don't believe that she was actively looking for anyone or anything else specifically. Mm. Um, she was focusing a lot on her running at the time, um, but then that wasn't that unusual. Yeah, I don't. There's not been anything obvious said to me and so we have spoken about it a bit and that seems to be like the one like the key thing that certainly the bit that st stuck out to me anyway um yeah i mean she yeah she's not been able to sort of like really definitively pinpoint and i think because it was over such a gradual period of time like you can't even say oh well it was then that's when mm. i stopped being in mm. love with you because that's just not how it works it is it's like in the same way that you fall for somebody or something develops over time mm. the same way it can go the other way if you're not paying attention mm. maybe maybe and i guess there's another part of a conversation that we have had is that maybe there was a point right at the beginning where we didn't really know what marriage was like we didn't really know what was involved or how hard work it would be or whether relationships should remain easy because again, many people do believe that they do. Believe, you know, relationships are easy to begin with. They're, they're loads of fun. You know, you all that adrenaline and dopamine and you know, oxytocin, and you know, and your body's filled with it, and mm. you get that honeymoon period, and you want that to last forever. And of course, it just doesn't. It tapers off anything between three months and a year normally, and then true love can sort of flourish but mm. that does require work it, requ it requires ongoing maintenance and i don't know may maybe there was just a a misalignment in her expectations about what that might look like and uh, the, the ambition different to mine yeah the ambition thing was a uh, an alarm bells were going off in my head when you said that um and i think for a lot of men watching this the, the alarm bells will be will be going off because it that does resonate um yeah so I also, but not before I was 
before I came on today, I had a look at some research online and um, the three to five year mark post the arrival of kids is a dangerous time, right, for marriages. The yes. honeymoon period is over. The kids, you've gone through this two to three year stressful situation with the kids um, and a lot of, there's a lot of breakdown at that point. So you're now separate and you move into, you decide to embark upon a new career. Yes, I do. Yeah, so Tell us I, about that. Yeah, so I, like I said earlier on, I'd spent most of my early life not knowing what on earth it was I wanted to do with my life. And I think up until the point where I got divorced, that was still true, you know. Mm. Um, I'd enjoyed all of the jobs that I'd done, you know, and I'd always, I'd always been fulfilled. But in, in that sense, but I, I, I never really felt like that was the thing, like that was the career ender. That was the thing that I was going to really do. And maybe I, I also felt like I'd fallen short in, in, I don't know, society's expectations of success in, in some ways, you know, on a financial level, maybe I'd not, not been as successful as I would have liked to, to have been. Mm. So, yeah, I, I was now at a point where this, this circumstance, the, the affair, the infidelity had created an opportunity in many ways. It given me almost a completely blank canvas Obviously, the downside of moving out from the kids is that I don't see my kids so much mm. and I'm not spending as much time with them. The upside to that is I don't spend as much time with my kids. So <laughs> it also gives me free time and I don't have to experience all of the whinging and moaning that goes on. <laughs> yeah. It gets distributed a bit more evenly. So I, my initial idea was to try and use my experience there with my just general life experience but then also with some training as a life coach mm. to help people who had been through separations divorces help them you know rebuild their co-parenting relationship the relationship with their children's um, father or mother mm. and because that ultimately benefits all three parties involved Anyway, very quickly, as as much as that was really important to me, I realized that actually the, the pain that I'd experienced through infidelity and having speaking, uh, spoken to some people, um, by this point, I had become certified as a life coach through the life coach school in, mm -hmm. in the US. And I'd done some other trainings as well. And I've always been fascinated in psychology and how things work and how people work and why we do the things we do. So it's all sort of piecing together. I've always been very natural at getting on with people. I mean, that kind of showed in the hospitality trade. You know, I've always been able to connect and meet people on on their level, wherever they're at, mm. which has been a useful life skill. So I thought, well, actually, I can, I can probably make a, a business out of this and help a ton of people whilst doing it. So that's exactly what I endeavor to do. So I set up my business uh, a couple of years ago and have been gradually building it. At that time, I then launched my my own podcast, the After the Affair podcast back in October last year. And that has been a great way to communicate with people, particularly on such a taboo subject. You know, lots of people don't interact with my social media content because they don't want to be seen as like and sharing mm -hmm. anything mm -hmm. related to a divorce or sorry, to an infidelity because it's, mm. you know, tying them and they've got their friends and things seeing it. Mm. So that's been been really useful for me. And then, yeah, I work with clients now one to one, predominantly betrayed, but not exclusively. I do have some unfaithful clients as well. Uh, male and female um, ac 
across the globe as long as we have a, a zoom connection and then yeah i can transform people's lives and and it's happening it's great and your story your personal story has an extraordinary twist it does yes yeah, so after we so obviously as i mentioned before the the affair partner remained on the scene and he never moved in but he was spending more and more time and this was obviously quite a challenge for me to to overcome mm. um, and i had to do a lot of work on myself to to deal with that it was definitely very very challenging but fortunately you might say eventually that did that relationship did come to an end it lasted about a year um so that was a relief it was something that i didn't have to deal with anymore and then we could just focus on the kids and you know maintaining a co-parenting relationship and forming our own new romantic relationships and just getting on with life as as divorced people you know and for the next couple of years or so that's exactly what we did um you know did a bit of dating and did a variety of things and then had you met anybody else during that period or you had other relationships with, with, with um, so I, I met I, I had dates with lots of other people mm. and but in terms of like anything long term no mm. no mm. nothing yeah mm. so I, I met a few people several times you know but nothing mm. ever flourished into and that's a whole different story a lot of that bizarrely is because you know I'm divorced at forced I was divorced at 40 or whatever and thereabouts and uh, you know with kids and I didn't want any more kids and a whole vast combination of reasons and I'd got a good relationship with my ex-wife you know that was always a red flag to some people you know mm -hmm. um although to other people that was like a real stake in the ground it's like wow okay this guy's he's not messing about this is it take, takes his life and family and people seriously and not a game player and all the things mm -hmm. but anyway for combination reasons, none of those developed into anything anything serious. So then decided that actually I'm just going to take a break from this, and then spent about a year not doing any real no, dating, dating monk mode, pretty much. Yeah, I'm just focusing on my business and just you mm. know and just focusing on other things in my life, my kids, and just having fun and you know just enjoying mm. life really, and trying to build it and change it. Mm. And then it got to a point where um, both we'd, we'd been for a day out with the kids, um, both myself, um, my ex-wife and, and the children, um, to like one of these farm parks or something like that. And then when we got back that night, we were talking, we'd been chatting about a couple of things and I can't actually remember who said it, but it was like, you know, well, hang on, what if in three months time we're both still single? Should we just go on a date? And so we, and we both agreed to it. And then sure enough, three months later, we were both still single and we thought, well, Okay, let's have a go. Let's see what happens. And but we were very clear about a few things. Again, similar sort of things to the kind of boundaries that we put in place. Whose idea was it to go on the date, Luke? Do you remember? I can't. It's difficult because I can't remember whether it was when it first came up. It was a bit of a joint conversation thing. Mm. I think it was probably me that then brought it back up in the three month time it's like oh yeah we've got the three months okay and, um so we had that discussion about whether it was something we even wanted to do and then we were both very very aware of is this just because it's the easiest thing to do is this just because of the kids is this because tinder is a nightmare is this just because it's convenient is it because mm. we've got history is it because 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 
Or is it because we've gone our separate ways, we've both done our own growth, our own learning, our own changing, and we've both reflected on the marriage, the relationship, a combination of other things. And now we can come back to, with having the advantage, having already having children together and a bit of history, mm. but can we draw all that together into something new that isn't trying to replicate what was, but actually trying to build on something completely different, almost like a, a relationship 2.0, because obviously we're not married anymore and we actually have no intention of, of getting married. So. And you live separately. And we live separately as well. Yeah. And again, at least for the time being, that's the the, the plan. It, there's no... There's no but you're back together. To that, but we are back together. And so we did that for three months um, initially just to like, completely discreet, nobody knowing, um, really just to keep checking in with ourselves. Is this what we want? Are we just kidding ourselves? You know, what does our future look like? Do we want to live together? So we keep just keep consistently asking these questions. I, I use a concept with my clients called a want match, uh, which is just that. It's a list of things that both partners want, both for themselves, in their relationship, outside of the relationship. You compare those lists. It's like, do these things align? It's like, well, of the things that we agree on and align on, well, we'll do them together. And of the things that we want to do separately, well, we'll do them separately. And we'll just make sure that we're on the same wavelength rather than agreeing about a few things when we first meet before you get married and then not discussing any of those things again, really. Mm. Not really. I mean, you discuss the day-to-day -day stuff and that's what most people do. You know, what, what new clothes do the kids need before they go back to school in September? Where are we going to go on holiday next year? This, that, those kinds of things. Who's going to look after you know, our daughter on this day? You mm. know? But you stop, and many people do, stop asking the true, the deeper questions. What do we want from life? What are we really aiming for? How have we changed? I mean, think how much I've changed in just the last few years, let alone the last 10 or 20, to think that, you know, two people meet and remain the same and stay that way throughout their whole life is ludicrous. And so, so how, how long have you dynamic. been back together, Luke? Um, 18 months. Um. People are going to like, people are going to be wondering because uh, this is, this wouldn't be the norm, right? No, no I would um, um, the, 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 the whole issue of trust mm -hmm. um, and you're not living together. Now I had, a, I was thinking in my head when you were talking, you've, you've started your own business, you're following your passion, you turned a catastrophe into a personal triumph, a, a passion and a life's work in many ways, which would probably make you more attractive. The word that was used was lack of ambition. Yeah. Right. So it looks like somebody who now has a drive and an ambition and is following his passion, which inevitably makes you more attractive to. Well, to most people, I would think. Yeah. But particularly in this case to, to my your, ex your ex partner. Yeah. Which makes sense mm. because there's, when we think about how people see things, it's, it's their perception of the thing. Mm. I don't believe that I didn't have the ambition when she didn't think I didn't have the ambition. Mm. It's just that she couldn't see it because she was looking in a different direction. Mm. Whereas I believe that I've been fairly consistent with my ambition throughout my entire life, always yeah. striving for the next thing, always creating, always doing the thing. But for some reason, some who knows, there's complications. I, I, yeah, so I do recognize that. I okay. do recognize that could be a factor. 
boundary setting, right? Mm -hmm. So when you get back together, do you have to set firm boundaries? What would your recommendation be there? Like, how, how do you okay. negotiate that? Yeah, sure. Oh, I, I, I mean, I think firm boundaries are, are essential in all relationships, regardless mm. of whether trust has been broken or not. If anything, by having firm boundaries, the likelihood of trust being broken is significantly reduced because you already know how you're going to deal with the situation when it arises. Mm. So, for example, one of my very clear boundaries is if she or any other partner of mine is unfaithful again, then I'm not going to remain in that relationship. It's as simple as that. You know, it's that's my that is now my boundary and it's and i'll follow through on that you know i don't obviously it's going to hurt if that happens and i hope it doesn't of course mm. i don't mm. i really don't want that to happen but if it does i have my own back and i'm not going to remain victim to other people's actions even the people i love the most and i highly recommend that in in all people's lives because mm. a boundary is made up of a couple of things. It's made up of, first, a request, but it's also made up of a consequence. But the word consequence is a little bit misleading because we can often think that a boundary is like a threat or an ultimatum, but it's absolutely not. A boundary is set purely to protect your own emotional experience. Mm. It's to protect yourself. It's, you can continue to do whatever it is you want. If you want to go out and sleep with 20 men or do whatever, and I'm talking about anybody, any situation, if you want to continue doing the thing, you you can do that. I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to you know, report you to the police. I'm not going to do anything like that. But to protect myself, I am going to, to walk away. And some people might consider that a consequence, but that, sorry, a, a threat, but it's not. Mm -hmm. It's all about protecting you. It's not about trying to manipulate mm -hmm. harm or damage the other person. They get to be who they want to be. Mm. And that's all there is to it. How do you solve the temptation for, I mean, some people may experience a temptation for, for revenge, mm -hmm. revenge, sex, revenge, you know. Sure. Sure. I, mean, I suppose the first question to ask there is what do you think you would achieve mm. by seeking revenge? It's, it's what, what would you hope to, to gain from that? Make yourself feel better, would it? So that you then not only did your partner not align with your values, yeah. but now you don't align with your values. Mm. So no, you can be angry at her and at yourself. Mm. It's like, well, good luck with that. Um, in terms of the reasons for infidelity in general, you mm. work with unfaithfuls and you work with yep. people who are betrayed. What are the most common reasons that are presenting? Most often than not, it's some thing that is missing there's like a there's some component that the person the individual the unfaithful spouse feels is missing from their relationship they feel, feel unfulfilled in some way and they're trying to have that filled in some additional way mm. however it's not always obvious so there are differences between men and women for definite in the sense that men tend to be, again, this is not true across the board, but tend to be more opportunistic, circumstantial situation, weekend away with the lads, but, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. And and men are also, gen, again, generally speaking, more driven by visual, by the, a visual attractiveness, immediate. It's very quick. I often describe it when I talk with some of my female friends, we've had this conversation many times, where... A guy will often assess the woman visually, like immediately, and give them a 10. Mm. And then over the period of getting to know them, 
their personality and mm. voice and all of the other attributes and their interests and what they do for a living, they mm. then start to ultimately, it filters down into a final version of how attractive that person is. Mm. Whereas from a woman's perspective, again, just to clarify that this is not a one size fits all, but generally speaking, mm. they tend to not notice the the visual, the physical, all that part to begin with. It's more about building a connection over time. And then the physical attraction comes as a result of that connection that has been made. And I think when we look at affairs, a similar kind of thing happens. One partner is not experiencing or getting what they think they need from the other. And there's a combination of reasons that we can go into for that. But And they see that or they find it elsewhere. They're not really looking for it. It's mm -hmm. just all of a sudden, it's like, you don't know you're missing something. It's like you don't know you're in the dark until a light turns on. Mm. It's a bit like that. It's like something's fulfilled by somebody down the road, a work colleague, you know, someone you've met at some, um, you know, chance meeting, whatever it is. And then that just not dissimilar to the the story that I've described in my own um, situation. Over time, that gradually builds into something more people don't fall in love you know i mean love in sight love in first sight might sound nice but it's not not reality that's that that's the honeymoon that's the lust that's everything else and then yes that can then evolve into love of course it can but it's not quite and, and with your own story luke how do you integrate your ex-wife back into your circle your family and friends yeah well again to an extent there was, there was certainly, in terms of my immediate family, there wasn't much difficulty because she was still the mother of my children. Mm. And my children were still, you know, we were still, because we'd worked so hard on maintaining that good co-parenting relationship, it was her just being around and seeing them. It's not like it's not like she hadn't seen my mum for four years. It wasn't mm. like, you know, those kinds of things. That said, there obviously are some, um, I think protective elements that come out in the people that care about you or care about me mm -hmm. you know, they, they don't want to see me hurt again and because there are these myths and these 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 stories of you know once a cheater always a cheater and these kind this kind of terminology mm -hmm. that that's automatically assumed you know and i'm not saying that that doesn't fit in some cases of course it does but it's not a one again it's not a one size fits all so I find that, or I have found that my, my, my immediate family have been very receptive of the, the relationship. Um, of course, some people have voiced their, you know, just be careful, you know, we care about you, we don't want to see you getting hurt, we don't want to see you going through that again, you know, you've, you've made so much progress, you've done all this, you know, you've all the things. And, but because my mindset's not where you know, they're just they're projecting what they think I'm thinking or what they think I've experienced. Mm. But I think all of us can relate to a situation in our lives where we thought we would handle a situation in a particular way. And then that situation happens mm. and we handle it very differently. So best will in the world, even the most empathic of us still don't really know what it's like for the individual. And of course, you know, lives and relationships are complicated. I, I keep thinking about your own childhood experience, right? um you fixed it in your adult life has that that's in obviously taught, that's obviously crossed your mind right yeah definitely so there are obviously there's some links you know yeah. there's there's some patterns there's some things that i took from there's things that i took from my own experience as a child 
from divorced parents where infidelity was also a, a, a factor mm. um although that was that part of it wasn't so much of a like an obvious thing for me at least not at the time um mm. at least not in the same way that i think about it now and but what i i think what i took most from that part of my life was my again my mum and dad they at least from what i saw maintained a good relationship there was i never i don't recall them arguing i don't recall i'm sure i'm sure it must have happened there must have been those times but it was hidden well if it if it did happen i don't i don't recall it and even though they were like that i still had a hard time growing up as a teenager particularly when my dad used to come and visit he would visit and then he would go and i knew that he'd be going back to not only this other woman but these other kids in fact it was the kids that was more of a problem for me at the time than, than the woman because mm. it's like what mm. and yeah. it was i kept having to say goodbye over and over and over again and, and i've said to him before you know there was I, there was definitely a time where i wished he wished he had died not because i wanted him dead but just because i didn't want to have to keep saying goodbye and that's what it felt like i was having to do over and over again so i think that probably is where my my fear of marriage came and why i thought well if i don't get married i can't get divorced and therefore i can't put anybody through this so of course once i did get married of course i i knew that divorce was an option i obviously i hoped it never came to that Mm. um but the reality is we can't always control what happens but what i can do is i can i can control influence how i show up as a dad given the situation and i can actually use just like I do with my clients, just like I do with my business, I can use my my experience of, of difficult things that I've gone through to be able to actually pass on to my children, to help them grow and to help them become resilient, you know, and actually being exposed to some challenging things in life, you know, although I'm not saying it doesn't leave us with little nicks of trauma here and there. That's arguably better than being wrapped in cotton wool, pretending that the world is perfect. And then you get a bit of a shock when something does go wrong. Yeah, you need to build up the emotional resilience and you only do that by exposure to, to a little yeah. bit of pain and suffering. Not too much. No, but just, a, but a little yeah, bit. There's, oh, there's definitely a line, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one question, Luke, the, the, the big question people will have when they're going through this trauma is, should I stay or should I leave? Right. That's a good question. It's the, the primary question. You left and in a logical, careful, and you separated. What's your perspective on that? On, on Do you see people recovering their relationship a lot and staying together? Or it's, do you... it's mixed. It's mm. mixed. So, um, yeah, if I think about my own client base, mm. probably about 50-50 of uh, stay and leave. However, the ones that leave, they've often already made that decision. It's usually been from a situation where the unfaithful spouse has been unfaithful multiple times. Where it's been only one occasion, then I think on, I'd have to check, but I think they've all stayed together. It's only the it's only been where there's the repetition that uh, they're actually in uh, you know, an unhealthy relationship and mm. way more things going on. Because the, the, the reality is the affair is just a symptom. You know, that that's just the, the thing of something deeper, of something else that's going on. You know, the, there's a connection that's broken down, even with myself and my wife, even though it's like we don't have like a definitive like, oh, well, she 
says that it was because of this that she fell out of love with me. It's more complicated than that. But what we can say is that we weren't communicating well enough about what our individual wants and needs were at that time. There mm. were a lot of assumptions that were made. And we parted ways without realizing to a point where we got so far apart, we didn't, or I didn't notice as it happens. And I don't think she did until she looked back and said, oh my God, I'm miles away. Uh, and, you know, you end up doing things. Mm. So it's the first question that I cover with every new client that comes on board is getting clear on whether you want to stay or leave. And there are no rules. You can, you I've had one client who actually actively chose to stay whilst their partner was remaining in the affair relationship and worked on how that looked like for him. You know, and there was a combination of reasons. It's complicated, of course, you know, there, mm. is, there is no one size fits all. And I think that's one of the most dangerous things about the affairs and mm. infidelity in general is that other people, your loved ones, your family and your friends, they have an idea of how you should feel. They have an idea of how you should behave. Mm. And I guarantee you that it's probably not going to be in line with what you are actually experiencing yourself. So just listen to yourself. Talk it through. Talk it through with a professional. Talk it through with somebody who's trusted, who's non-biased, to actually get those feelings and those those that, those thoughts out there so you can explore what it is you want to do to move forward. Sometimes the relationship coming to an end is the right thing for you, and sometimes it's not. What I would say, and this applies to any relationship, whether infidelity is involved or not, if you are unhappy in your relationship, but you have a belief that your partner is the reason that you are unhappy, you're probably wrong. We have this temptation to assume that other people make us happy. Mm. The reality is that's just yeah. not true. We have the ability to make ourselves happy by the way that we think. Our thinking creates our feelings, so we have full control over it. Okay, our thoughts do arise, and they do arise at random, it would appear. But in terms of how we choose to act on those emotions and, the, and those that those line of thinking completely changes our outcome. So if you're in a relationship where you're not satisfied, you're not happy with your partner, get to a place where you are you can see them for what they are. You can be compassionate. You can understand. You can even love them, yet you still choose to leave. You're not leaving because. Because every time you have that because, you're essentially just being a victim. You're just allowing them to control you into your behaviors. And what, guess what will happen? You'll go into your next relationship and the same patterns will emerge. Plus, you, I, I, I would be very uncomfortable outsourcing the source of my happiness to another individual. Um, that's... Uh... That's not that's not a move I would I would be encourage anybody to do. You are you you're in a minority. For I agree with you 100. Yeah. Yeah. As in, like you should not outsource it. Yeah. But many many people, people do because do. many people believe that the external thing, yeah. whether it be the holiday, the new car, the pay rise, the latest iPhone, the partner. Mm that the external thing is what brings us joy, what brings us happiness. And of course, that really just isn't true. They're just material things. Would you get married again, Luke? Tricky question. I have no, I have no current desire to. Mm. Um, lots of things have changed in my life where I thought I knew 
what I thought and what I wanted mm. and what was going to happen. And then something came along and changed it. So I'd be naive to say no, but as it stands right now, I've got I've got no current desire to know. Um, I discussed a relationship, long term relationship with, with clinical psychotherapist Stephanie Regan, and it's it's, it's episode I think it's number number twenty two. Um, and I asked her a question. I wanted to ask it to you as well. Is the idea of terms, marriage terms, right? So rather than creating these lifelong marriages until death do its part maybe we have 18 year marriages maybe we have 10 year marriages with the opportunity to renew the vows mm -hmm. when the term expires what would your perspective be on that That's a good question um i don't suppose i've really thought about it in terms of like fixed terms it sounds a little mm -hmm. bit like a mortgage but well. in terms of in terms of assessing the ongoing parts of your relationship i think that should be an ongoing thing mm. it should be this active discussion Mm. At throughout your relationship, throughout your life, mm. something I heard was this idea of imagine you know you've 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 come home and you're not feeling you know emotionally you're not feeling great you know you mm. maybe you may be only at like twenty percent and you go to your partner and say hey look I'm having a tough day um honestly I'm I'm running at like twenty percent today and in a solid established relationship where you've got each other's back your partner would turn around and say it's okay i got you i'll make up the, the remaining 80 percent." and then other days it'll be the other way around and the other partner will be a bit low and the other one makes it up mm. and of course there are going to be occasions sometimes where both partners are feeling low they're both only at like 30 percent and 40 percent respectively they can't even make up 100 percent between them it's at that point that's the point when you have your terms meeting that's when you get together say okay what's going on here you know we're in this together how do we move forward what do we want and and, and really just have that discussion mm. you know, every situation is going to be completely different but for me that would be the marker as to when the problem is when you give it any kind of fixed term, you basically ignore it until the term comes up. Well, you always know there's, a, there's first of all, this thing will expire. So you're working and both sure. parties have to work because Agreed. they know it's coming to an end and they know that, um, say it's 18 years, the kids will be raised. Yep. They know there's a get out of jail clause as well if it's if it's not working and you're not happy. So I just think that if you look at, there was a fascinating inter interview on Soft White Armander Belly with a divorce lawyer called James Sexton. Um, uh, it's got millions of views. And he talks about the fact that in the United States, 56% of marriages end in divorce. It's between 80 and 90% for second time around divorces. Yeah, um, college educated women initiate 90% of the divorces in the United States. If you add into the into that mix, the fact that a lot of people are staying together who don't want to be together. They're staying together because that's another 15, 20 percent. So now we have 76 percent of all marriages and we have catastrophic divorce rates in the United States. They're very low in Ireland. They're higher in the UK. But to avoid the catastrophe of divorce. And it it is I have never been through it myself, but it is a catastrophe. And hearing you talk about it is is is, is frightening um what what you had to go through um 
there has to be a re an acknowledgement of that catastrophe and there has to be um another look at this contractual agreement with the state essentially yeah uh, i mean that's it's a very interesting perspective and, and not one that i'd really considered before mm. um i i can see how something like that could have some utility i'm conscious of the way the human brain works when something when you know something is coming to an end regardless of its time span you think about it differently and i'm not necessarily i'm not convinced mm. that that would always result in a positive difference mm. that's a very good point um i do think it's worth exploring though oh, and i no, think yeah, it could absolutely. be an option yeah, and it's, it's literally the first it's the first time i've really even heard, heard it heard about it so but this is the anything with an expiry plan uh, mm. expiry time limit um has it affects your commitment yeah but if you know you're in something for the rest of your natural life it affects your investment true because you're going to, you're not going to invest why would you you're locked in for life so you, you can just invest a little bit less you know you can so the, yeah, assuming that yeah, so that's if we're looking at marriage as a whole, and mm. and I, I and and maybe that's the problem. As mm. in, I think long term relationships can work, but they do require a lot of work. Mm. So maybe it's as important to educate what that really looks like because there's, there's a couple of main things that are missing from the education system, and one is relationships. Mm. People are not taught yeah, how to be point, in yeah. relationships. They don't even know what relationships are. Mm. You know, they not in the not in the true context. You know, a relationship, for the most part, is one person's thoughts about another person, mm. and we know that because we can have a relationship with someone we've never met. We can have a relationship with the posters on the wall that we have when we're teenagers. We can have a relationship with someone who has since passed. Mm. So, but we're not taught these things. So we don't approach relationships in the right way. We're not taught healthy boundaries. We're not taught how to trust people. We're not taught how to trust ourselves. You know, we don't, we, we, we talk in this language of like, you know, well, there's part of me that feels this and part of me that feels that, but most people don't know what to do with that. It just creates conflict and they're pulling mm. in different directions and they don't feel connected to themselves. So they look outside and they look outside and everyone's doing the same thing. So you've got everybody looking at each other, not getting any solution. So it's like, well, rather than change the overall thing of marriage mm. how about we educate people what marriage and relationships really are and what's required okay? maybe less people will get married mm. but that also solves the problem of less people getting divorced mm. luke where can people find you so you can find me on my website at lifecoachluke.com you can contact me directly at luke at lifecoachluke.com. I'm on most social media channels mm. under the tag of uh, my life coach Luke, or one word. And of course, there's my podcast, the After the Affair podcast, which is available on Apple, um, Spotify, and all, all of the, the main podcast platforms. Yeah, it's also on YouTube, and it's, um, it's the audio version is on YouTube. There's lots of interviews, lots of great advice there for anybody that is experiencing or going through um, a betrayal or, or a divorce or a marriage breakdown. There's a lot of great stuff in there, and obviously people can reach out to you directly. Um, Luke, thank you so much. That was 
fascinating. And uh, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a pleasure for me too. Thank you so much. <laughs>